The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. New Song Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Wow, that was kind of pathetic. All right, let's try that again. How's everybody doing this morning? There you go. So good. So good to see you this morning. Glad to have you here with us. If you're new to New Song Church, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor. Glad to have you here. If you are new to New Song, uh, after the service is over, I'm going to be out in the lobby along with my wife, Sarah. We'd love to meet you, get to know you a little bit better. Make sure you stop by, say hi. I actually have a gift that I want to put in your hands, so make sure that you uh, you stop by and, and hang out with us. Also, one quick announcement. Tonight is our next Next Steps class. So if you're new to New Song Church, or maybe you've been coming to New Song Church for a little bit, but you've never gone to Next Steps, I want to encourage you to come out. Tonight, you're going to learn about the vision and the heart and where, where we're at, what God's done, the history of our church, where we're going, the, the things that God has ahead of us. Uh, so, so if you'd like to learn more about New Song, I want to encourage you to come out. We'll have food for you, Fuzzy's Tacos for you. We'll have uh, child care for your kids, and we'll feed them Mazio's Pizza, and they'll have plenty of Mazio's Ranch, which is like the best ranch on the planet. So make sure you're there. Also, I want to take a quick moment and give a shout out to all the people who are watching Line Church. Let's give online, let's give them a hand. And oh, come on, you can do better than that. Let's say hi to them. And specifically to a group of people who are in Florida right now, the Cromwells who are there right now, Tammy Cromwell and all of you, I want to say hi to you and to my son Gus who's with them. They have five kids and they've taken my child with them. He's in Florida for 14 days and we miss him, but, but hey buddy, we miss you, we love you, excited about seeing you and everybody who's with us online, good to see you. All right, we're starting a brand new series today called Character Sketches. And we're going to be looking at the character of some of the characters of the Bible. It's going to be a really great series. Got a lot of uh, other communicators that are going to be sharing over the next several weeks. In fact, next week, make sure you are here next week because Pastor Dennis Rouse is going to be here. One of the elders, one of the fathers of this house is going to be here. He pastors a church in Atlanta uh, called Victory World. It is an incredible church. And uh, he's an incredible man of God. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss that. But it's going to be a great series. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of learn about these characters. We're going to look at some characters you know, maybe some that you don't know. And we're going to learn about what they did right. We're also going to look at what they didn't do so right. So if you have your Bible this morning, open it up to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the character of the character Ruth. Everybody say Ruth. And man, I, I love this woman. She is an amazing woman of God. In fact, if I was having another baby, a little girl, I would probably name her Ruth because this is just an amazing, amazing woman. In fact, um, she, there's some things that are unique about her that, that you don't really see in anybody else's story. And specifically, like for example, uh, Ruth is one of only two women who have a book of the Bible written about them. Who can name the other? Esther. Esther there you go. You went to Sunday school, I'm guessing. So good job. Good job. <laughs> Um, Ruth is actually the, the only non-Jewish person to have a book of the Bible written about her, or, or anybody really. And Ruth is also the only person in the Old Testament who has a book of the Bible written about them that is in the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. Ruth was the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, who we know uh, was in the line of, of Jesus Christ. So, so Ruth is pretty amazing. And what's amazing is she doesn't start off there. 
Like she starts off, she's a Moabite. She lives in a country that worships many gods, a lot of adultery in her, in her uh, society. And yet God takes her out of that and moves her to this incredible place of blessing and, and influence. And, and it's not just because she was lucky, and that's good news for me and you, because if it was just a story of luck, then we could look at it and go, well, that's cool. Hopefully we'll get lucky like that, but it's actually not. I think there's, there's things that we can look at in her story, traits and characteristics of her story that we can apply to our life that will help us to step into the same kind of favor and blessing that she had in her life. But when the story starts off, it kind of starts off in a rough place. So Ruth, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to the, to the book of Ruth. We're going to start in chapter 1. And it starts off, everything is kind of falling apart. And I'm going to give you the kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of this. And I encourage you this week, uh, if you're looking for something to study, this is a really quick read. It's four chapters long, 85 verses total. Uh, take some time and read this story for yourself. But, but it starts off, there's this guy named Elimelech. And he marries this woman named Naomi, and they live in Bethlehem, where Jesus would later be born, an Israelite city, this part of the promised land that God had promised to the Israelite people. They have these two sons, one named Malon, one named Chilion, and uh, those are interesting names. If you're looking for a name for your son, I wouldn't invite you to that, but... But they have these two sons, and, and things are going bad. There's a famine in, in, in Bethlehem, in Israel at the time, and so uh, they decide to leave. And nowhere in Scripture does it show us that God told them to do this, but they just, they just decide to uproot themselves from, from where God has them planted in the promised land and to go to try to find greener pastures somewhere else. And so they end up in, in the city called Moab. And when they get there... Uh, Actually, the, the father, Elimelech, he dies. And so now Naomi is a widow, but she does have these two sons, and, and her two sons actually find Moabite women, and they get married. One marries a, a woman named Orpah, the other one marries Ruth. And after they get married, the sons die. So now things are, are really bad. And you have to understand, in the culture of, this, of the day that they're living in, like not having your husband not having sons, you are in a desperate, desperate situation. In fact, uh, a theologian wrote this. He said, to be, to be a childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. There, there was no one to support you, and you had to live on generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. She was in a desperate, desperate situation. So Naomi gets this, she hears this rumor that things are actually now, uh, they're, they're doing really well in Bethlehem. The, the crops have come in, things have kind of revived. And so she decides she's got no husband, she's got no sons, she's in this desperate place. She's going to go back to her home, her hometown. And she tells her daughter-in-laws this and they say, well, we're going to go with you. And she says, no, don't go with me. You, you girls stay here. You need to go back to, go back to your, your families, go back to your homes, go back to your gods. If you go with me, I, I can't help you. And you're just going to, it's just, it's not going to be a good situation. And so Orpah decides to do that. She goes back to her gods, but, but, but Ruth says no. And in some of the most beautiful verses of commitment in, in scripture, she, she makes this statement. I'm going to read you this. And let me just encourage you, guys, if you're planning on proposing to a girl anytime soon, this is like goals right here. Like I'm going to teach Gus, study this, learn this, and this is what you need to say the day that you propose to your wife. All right. Ruth chapter one, verse 16, she says this, wherever you go, I will go. 
Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Isn't that beautiful? Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm clinging to you. Where you go, I'm going. And so Naomi says, okay, let's go. And, and they head back. Well, when they get there, there's, there's kind of this, this, uh, this rule or this established law in place by God in the Bible that when people were harvesting crops, that they would leave the, the corners of the crops and then anything that fell to the ground, they would leave for the poor, for the people that, that were in desperate situations, that they could go out and they could glean from that. And so Ruth decides she's going to go out to these fields that have been harvested and she's going to see what she can pick up. And while she's out there, this guy named Boaz sees her and he notices her and the story goes on. He falls in love with her and he marries her. And he's this rich, good looking, affluent guy. And because of him, everything changes for her. Everything turns around. She goes from having nothing to being wealthy and blessed. She goes, and not only her, but, but also Naomi, her mother-in-law is blessed uh, she goes from having no man to ha- having lost her man to having one of the greatest, most God-fearing, godly men that there is. Everything changes to the point that she actually ends up a Moabite woman being in the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really an incredible, beautiful story. And, and, and there's some things that we can learn from this story. Because some people, I think we would look at this and we say, man, she got lucky. Like, that's great. Good for her. But... But, but I don't believe that to be true. I don't think it was luck at all. I think there's things in her life that she, had, that she had in her life that I think positioned her for the blessing of God. How many of you, of you would like to be positioned for the blessing of God? How many of you would like to see like the target of the blessing and the favor of God to be on you like a, like a bullseye? Well, I believe it can be because I believe God is no respecter of persons. What he did for her, he can do for you. And so let's look at today five things that will position you for the favor and the blessing of God that we can see in the life of Ruth. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Ruth was determined. There's a determination that you see in the life of, of Ruth that is, that is so important to our lives. And, and what I see in the life of Ruth is she was determined to pursue what she knew was right. Okay, so let's, let's look at this together. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this is right when Naomi is, is talking to these girls about what she's going to do and going back to Bethlehem. And the, it's like decision time here. And this, this, the beginning of this is all wrapped up in emotion. Look at this. They lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. And really what, what that means is she kissed her goodbye. And this is the end of her story. It says, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, uh, Naomi says this to Ruth. She says, look at your sister-in-law has gone back with her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn from following you. And then the verses I read earlier, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me. And also, if anything, but death parts you and me. Now check out this next part. Look at what she says. When she, that's talking about Naomi, when Naomi saw that she, that's talking about Ruth. So when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, somebody say determined. determined. Say it like you mean it, determined. determined. When she saw that she was determined, look at this, she stopped speaking to her. In other words, Naomi sees something in Ruth that she's going, it doesn't matter what I say. She's coming with me. 
There's no stopping this girl. She has, she has set her determination and her tenacity that wherever I go, she's going, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. So she just, she's like, I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm not going to mess with this anymore. Now understand, like, it, it starts off, they're weeping, they're sad, they're wrapped up in emotions. Life is emotional, isn't it? Like we face, there's sometimes that you face realities in your life that are, that are emotional. It's hard. And, and in the middle of that emotion, we have a choice. We can either kind of to decide in the middle of that that we're going to continue to follow after what we know is right and pursue God and godly things. Or we can be like Orpah and just say, okay, I'll just return to my old way of living and, and, and my old way of making myself my own God and worshiping other gods. The, the question is, what are we going to do in those emotional seasons? We've got to set our... our our determination to say, you know what? No, I, I'm, I'm going to pursue what I know is right. I believe Ruth saw something in this family that, that just attracted her. There was something about this God of the Israelites that she said, this, this is right. I've, I've never seen anything like this. We, we didn't have this in Moab. This, when I worshiped the God of Chemosh or whatever, that wasn't working for me. This is real. This is right. And understand, at this time, she's not even really seeing the blessing of God. Like, she's not pursuing God because of blessing. She hasn't really seen the blessing of God yet. She just knows it's right. Now, hear me, church. Uh, we, we serve a God who wants to bless you. That's what this whole message is really about, is how to put yourself in a position where God can bless you. God is a good God. He wants to bless you. He wants to, the Bible says he wants to uh, fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's the God we serve. He wants to bless you. But, but also realize that in this world, you're going to face stuff. We live in a broken, fallen world, and the Bible says, Jesus actually said in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Because we live in a broken, fallen world, trouble, fallen, brokenness is going to try to get on you from time to time. Now, the good news is, Jesus goes on to say in that same verse, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And if you're in Christ, you are like him, and you can overcome this world too. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be seasons where, where things try to get on you, where emotions can be high, where it can be difficult. And it's in those moments that we have to... We have to set our mind on, okay, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be, I'm going to determine that I know God is God and I know he's good and I'm going to follow him and I'm not going to get caught up in emotion and, and pull away from what I know is right. There's this tenacity that we see in Ruth that we need to have in our life. Tenacity is this, tenacity is the quality of being tenacious, of holding fast, of being persistent. Ruth wasn't going to quit. And you need to realize this morning that when you quit, you're always quitting on somebody. You're quitting on yourself. You're quitting on other people around you. You're also quitting on God and his ability to bless you. We, we can't quit. If you're looking for an excuse to quit, let me just tell you, there's an enemy to your life who's going to throw excuse after excuse after excuse at you. And, and if you're pursuing something that's, that's, uh, that's godly, that's biblical, that has eternal value... The enemy knows that, and he's going to try to keep you from that. But you have to decide, it doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter if I'm in a valley. It doesn't matter if I'm on a mountaintop. Wherever I find myself, I'm going to, I'm going to consistently pursue tenaciously what I know is right. I'm going to hold fast to my God, and I'm going to see the promises of God fulfilled in my life. We've got to be there. We've got to live there. That's what Ruth had, and that positioned her to receive the favor and the blessing of God. Here's the second thing we see in the life of Ruth. Ruth expected the sweet. Ruth expected the sweet. Look at this next verse. This is Ruth 2, verse 2. Now let me just remind you as I read this, 
that Ruth and Naomi have just come back to, to Bethlehem and they have nothing. Like they have zilch, zero. Like they're, they're not in a good place. I read earlier what that commentator said. They're in a, they're in a rough situation. But, but notice the attitude of Ruth. Ruth 2 verse 2. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him and ch- check this out, in whose sight I might find favor. Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Notice that she says, in whose sight I might find favor. In other words, Na- uh, Ruth is expecting favor. She's, she's saying, I'm going to go out there to those fields and I'm going to glean from those fields and I'm expecting that I'm going to have favor in those fields. I'm expecting blessing. I'm expecting good things are going to happen as I go out there and I, I put my hand to work and I, I go do this. I, I'm expecting that I'm going to see good things take place. She's hopeful. She's bright. Now, what's really interesting is by contrast, Naomi is not that at all. <laughs> Naomi is like Ruth's mentor here. And if you, you look at her, like she is not in a good place. Let me, let me show you this. Ruth chapter 1 verse 19, it says this. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. So they're back in their hometown. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. So they're coming back to this place, and that obviously means she was, in a, she was a part of a community. She was planted there. People knew her. People were excited to see her again. And they said this to her, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Now, Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant. Look at what she says here. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. <laughs> so she's like, don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. That's what I am right now. Look what she says. For the Almighty. If you have a Bible, highlight that, circle that word. You're going to see in a minute. That's a slap in the face to God. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, which isn't true. (laughs) They left because they weren't trusting God to take care of them where he planted them. They disobey God. And in context of scripture, we don't see that God's typically calling people out of the promised land to go to the wilderness. It's not what he does. And yet that's what she does. And she says, God did that, but God didn't. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has has testified against me and the Almighty, there it is again, the Almighty has, has afflicted me. Now this is truly stated in a sense that this is what she actually said, but this statement is not true at all. She's blaming God for this. She's saying, God did this to me. This is what they they brought on themselves by not trusting God and staying planted where he had them. And then she says, the Almighty has done this. Now, when she says Almighty, she actually says a name of God, a Hebrew name of God that is El Shaddai. El Shaddai means that he is the all-sufficient God, the God of abundant supply. So here's what she's saying. She's saying the God of abundant supply, the God who can meet my needs here, is not. Not only is he not taking care of me from his supply, which he could give to me, but he's taken from me, he's stolen from me, and guess what? I am bitter. That's Naomi. Now here's what's fascinating. Naomi is the mentor of Ruth, right? She's the best example, really, Ruth has right now of what pursuing God can look like, and yet nowhere in these verses do we see that Ruth allows that same kind of attitude to get on her. Ruth stays hopeful and bright. She continues to to look for the sweet and expect the sweet in the middle of this bitter woman around her. She could have chimed in with, with Naomi, like a lot of us tend to do sometimes. People around us are griping and complaining, and we're like, hey, I'll give me some of that. Let's cuddle up together, and let's gripe, and let's complain. 
and I ain't going to do her any good. And she says, no, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm expecting the sweet. And, and let me just tell you, this is so important to our walk with God because I, I heard this saying a long time ago, a negative mind will never give you a positive life. And I've, I've discovered this, and you probably have too, like we, we typically find whatever it is we're looking for. Unless you're Bono, who still hasn't found what he's looking for. It was a lame joke, but anyway. But we do. We typically tend to find whatever it is that we're looking for. And, and so, what are you looking for? When I was a kid, uh, my mom had this... My mom really loves planting gardens and flowers. And she's kind of got a green thumb that way. And when we were kids, we had this home with a swimming pool in the backyard and uh, my mom had planted all these bushes and kind of created this little oasis for us in our backyard. There was these bushes that went like 10 feet above the fence line and, and these big trees that she had planted that kind of created a canopy and there was flowers and bird baths and bird feeders. And I remember in the summertime, we'd go out there and you know be eating like some pancakes and berries and the hummingbirds would come in to the hummingbird feeders. And I love hummingbirds. They're like the coolest little birds. They sound like little helicopters and they come in, you know, doing their little... <laughs> little thing and and they're like I love that like these little things they're so cute like they they pursue like like what they're looking for is basically colored sugar water like how cute is that right and so they come in and they drink from that but and but in the natural too like they're looking for beauty they're looking for sweet like they're looking for these beautiful flowers and they go to those flowers and they draw sweetness from those beautiful flowers so they're looking for the sweet so they find the sweet right uh, on, on the contrast, there's another bird that's kind of, you'll see from time to time in Oklahoma, called the turkey vulture. We got a picture of that dude right here. And uh, he's not as cute, is he? And these things, like the, the hummingbird's looking for life, looking for beauty, looking for sweetness. This sucker's looking for dead things. They're looking for roadkill and, and, and they're looking for, you know, dead squirrels, dead possums. And so you'll see them on the side of the road picking at this decaying, ugly, rotten stuff. Now, here's my point. Both birds find what they're looking for. The hummingbird will pass right over the stuff that the turkey vulture is looking for. It doesn't, it's not affected by it because it's not looking for it. And, and the turkey vulture may have beauty all around it, but it's looking for the dead stuff. Okay, so here's my question. <laughs> What are you looking for? Because you're going to find what you're looking for. And I see this so often, like people in life, like you're just looking and expecting, expecting bad service at a restaurant, expecting that, that, that things are not going to go your way, expecting rotten, kind of ugly, dirty stuff. You're not, you're not expecting the sweet and you're not looking for it. And since you're looking for rotten, you find it. And it, and it affects your life and affects your day. I, you know, I, I go to restaurants all the time. I talk to, there's certain people I talk to sometimes and they'll talk about how they always get bad service and they're always, and how mad it makes them all that stuff. I, I never get bad service. And if I do, guess what? I, I just pay no attention to it. I just kind of go, oh, we'll never go there again. And I move on with my life. Why am I going to let that like ruin my night? But, but some of you, that's what you do. And you, and you're looking for it. And so the enemy's like, okay, you're looking for trouble? Here's some trouble. Enjoy. Eat up. Feast up. And that's what we do. We're just sitting on the side of the road eating roadkill looking like a turkey vulture. <laughs> Don't do it. Expect the sweet. Ruth expected the sweet and that's what she found. God blessed her. And she found the favor that she was looking for because she expected it. Here's, here's the third thing we see in the life of Ruth. Ruth got to work. 
Ruth got to work. Look at this. Ruth 2 verse 2 says this. It says, let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Okay, so Ruth is expecting the sweet, but she also recognized that she had a part to play in the harvest. She had to do something. That the harvest wasn't just necessarily going to come to her. She had a part to play in that. In, in verse 7 of the same chapter, Boaz's foreman is, is talking to him about Ruth. This is after Boaz kind of says, hey, who's, that, who's the hot chick out there working in the field? And the foreman's like, well, this is her. And he says this. He says, she came to me. She said, please let me glean, gather from the reapers among the sheaves. He says, so she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested for just a little bit in the house. So he says, listen, this girl came. She said, can I, can I glean from your field? And then she got to work. She's been hustling. She's been out there all day. And Boaz sees that and he's like, you know what? Help her out. Now, tell, tell our reapers if they see her to drop extra on the ground for her so that she can take care of herself and, and her mother-in-law. And she finds this, this favor I understand Ruth could have sat at home and she could have griped and complained and had she done that, uh, she and Naomi would have probably starved to death. And we go, well, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. But here's the other thing. She didn't just stay at home either. She didn't just stay at home and pray. Because had she just stayed at home and pray, we don't really know, but she probably would have starved to death that way too. She recognized like, okay, I'm expecting God to bless me, but I also know that I got to do something to position myself to receive it. So she got to work. The Bible tells us this. It tells us that God wants to bless the work of your hands. The question is, what are your hands doing? God can't bless work, the work of your hands if your hands aren't working. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of a lazy person will kill him. Because his hands refuse to work. The blessing and favor of God is available for the hands and the work that you apply yourself to. So my question for you is, is this, um, are you waiting on God to move, but God's waiting on you to move? Maybe you're right now, you're saying, man, God, you need to show up. You need to do something. And God's saying, yeah, take the step and I'll do something. And when you start moving, God will bless the moves that you make and then he'll show you the next move which will lead you to the favor and the blessing of God. Right, yeah. Naomi or Ruth received the blessing of God because she's willing to get busy. She's willing to hustle. She's willing to put her hand to something and God blessed what she put her hand to. Here's point number four. Ruth had gratitude. Ruth had gratitude. She was thankful. Look at these verses with me. This is after Boaz has spoken kindly about her. And just notice how she, how she talks here. It's, you just, it's just dripping with gratefulness and thankfulness. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In verse 13, she says this. This is the message translation. She said, oh, sir, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart. You've treated me like one of your own and I don't even belong here. You can see this beautiful language of generosity and, and gratefulness on her part for what Boaz is doing and the help that he's providing her for. She is thankful. And, and your thankfulness is important. The attitude of gratitude on your life is so important to your life. You, you cannot be unhappy and ungrateful at the same time. Typically, ungrateful people are unhappy people. Grateful people are happy people. I, I've known people that can be in the middle of a lot of good things all around them, but because they're ungrateful, they're unhappy. I've seen that. I've been at Disneyland with my kids before. 
the happiest place on earth. And there's a little bit of ungratefulness going on. Let me just tell you, you don't want to mess with Sarah when that stuff's going down. That ain't good. Sarah's big on thankfulness. But they're, they're in this, but they, but they're just, there's a lack of recognizing what's around you. This is a beautiful place. This is a great, but what, what my parents have done to get me all this amazing. And yet we're ungrateful. We, you can be in a great place and be ungrateful and you're, you're missing out. And, and so much of your, your life with God consists of this. The blessing of God is very dependent upon your gratefulness. You're either through your thankfulness, through your gratitude, you're either uh, drawing the blessing of God to you or you're repelling it. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy 28, God is kind of presenting to the children of Israel this, this idea of, of life and death, blessing and cursing, of what's available to them. And, and as he talks to them, realize he's, he's talking to us. We're now, because of Jesus Christ, born into the family of God. And many of the promises of the Old Testament that were available to the children of God are available to us. And so the option is ahead of us, blessing and cursing and what we can enjoy in this life. And then in verse 47, it all kind of hinges on this. Check this out. God says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness of mind and a heart in, look at this, gratitude for the abundance of all with which he has blessed you. Therefore, you will serve your enemies and you will be in want in of, of all. Everybody say all. all. Of all things. God says here, if you're not thankful, you're not going to see the blessing of God in your life. This attitude of, of gratitude is so important. You have to be looking and pursuing this thankful heart. It brings you into the presence of God. It brings you into a, a place where God can minister to you like he wants to do. So Ruth was determined. Ruth was expecting the sweet. Ruth got to work. Ruth had gratitude. And here's point number five. Ruth prioritized others. She put others above herself. As you read this story, Boaz marries her and he brings her into her family and he's called the kinsman redeemer and that he brings her into his family and he redeems her life from all of the death and decay and brokenness. And he's a picture, Boaz is really a picture of Jesus Christ and what Jesus wants to do for you. And Boaz, in, in a few verses, gives us a glimpse into what he saw in the life of Ruth, which, listen, this is the heart of God for you. What God wants to see in you that's going to lead him to saying, hey, let's do this thing. I want to bless you. Here's the favor. Here's all this stuff. Look at what it says here. Ruth 2, verse 11, Boaz says, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. So he says, I, I see that you've, you've put others above yourself. You've left behind your old ways, your old lifestyle to put somebody else and to position somebody else to be blessed and taken care of. In, in chapter three, verse 10, Boaz says this. He says, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. In other words, he says, I, Ruth, I recognize you could have done this a different way. You could have gone back. You could have done like Orpah. You could have gone back. You're a beautiful lady. You would have found a husband. You would have been taken care of. Somebody rich, somebody poor, somebody would have taken care of you. But you chose this route. You chose to put Naomi in this pursuit of God over yourself. Blessed are you because of that. Ruth prioritized other people. Ruth put Naomi and the needs of Naomi over herself. And realize, like, Naomi gave her an out. She didn't have to do it. She chose to do it. 
And whether she recognized it or not, Ruth put into work a biblical principle called the law of sowing and reaping. It's established in in the book of Genesis where God talks about how every tree is going to bear fruit after its seed, after its kind. You, You plant an apple tree, you get apples. You plant an orange tree, you plant oranges. But that principle is not just true for fruit. It's true for our lives as well. What you sow, you're going to reap. In fact, I was praying this morning and God just reminded me that that's what Jesus did to win us. He came to this earth and he put on flesh and he became a human seed and he died on the cross and he was sown into this world. Why? So that he could reap a harvest of souls. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus did for you. And Ruth did the same thing with Naomi. She sowed her life into her and she just reaped where she sowed. She reaped relationships. She reaped blessing because she was willing to sow into somebody else's life. Now, I've kind of walked you through these five principles this morning of what Ruth did that I think you can apply to your own life, right? And the tendency is to look at some of this stuff sometimes and go, okay, obviously these are all good, so I need to get work on all this stuff. But, but I really felt like the Lord, as I was studying this this week, and invited me to invite you to do this to ask you this question that I ask all the time here at New Song Church, and that is this, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? In, in other words, specifically, what one thing do you need to focus on? What, what's, what's the one thing that you could change? Which one of these stands out to you the most that, that maybe if you do it, it'll turn everything around? I, I was watching this, uh, this show one time that was about motorcycles and restoring motorcycles and and this guy has, had found this engine from like this turn-of-the-century motorcycle that uh, when he started messing with it, found that he could actually get it to turn over and, and unlock it. And, uh, and it was a motorcycle engine that no one had ever heard before. Or, or they hadn't heard it for like 50 years, basically. And so he starts this job of restoring this motor and restoring an entire bike with all the parts to kind of bring this old motorcycle that people have not seen in years or heard in years back to life. And so he's a famous motorcycle enthusiast guy and people hear that he's doing this. And so people start saying, okay, when's this going to be done? We want to see it. We want to hear it the first time you crank it up. And so they all, all these people make plans to come see him. And so he's working on it, getting it all ready, doing all the, the, the work to restore it. And it's finally the day has come and he's, he's scrambling to kind of finish up all the last second, you know, parts. And, and as the, 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 the show is like showing it. It's showing like the people arriving at the airport and they're, they're all getting in cars and driving out to where he is. And it's like 50 people are coming to see this. That are just, they cannot wait to hear this motorcycle. And he's frantically trying to get it together and he gets it all together and he goes to crank it up and kickstarts it and it will not turn over. And like for the next like couple of hours, he's trying to get this thing to start and it won't start. And the people are now showing up and they're all waiting and they're all expecting this and they've traveled and made all these plans to be here and he can't get it to start finally he brings it out to them and he's just kind of like, I'm sorry, I couldn't get it to turn over. Well, there's a guy there that knows all about these motorcycles. He's studied them and even though he's never had one or driven one, he knows all about them. And so he comes over and I kid you not, he, he looks at it for like a minute, does a couple of adjustments. The guy gets back on it, kickstarts it and it cranks right up. And God reminded me of that story this week. And, and I think that some of you what we need to do is we need to invite the Holy Spirit in. Listen, the Holy Spirit is an expert in you. (laughs) He knows what may be missing. He knows what may be a little off and he wants to help you to make that that adjustment that needs to be made that if you make it, your life is gonna come roaring to new life. That's what God wants to do in your life. So my question is, what's the one thing? 
What are these five things? What's the thing that God's saying to you? Hey, let's focus in on that. Maybe for you, you need to be a little bit more determined. Maybe you let the circumstances of life toss you to and fro. And, and, and even sometimes I, I think we're guilty of this. It's not just the bad times that sometimes cause us to pull away from God. Sometimes it's the good times. Things are going good and we go, well, I don't need God now. Things are great. And we pull away. What, what do we need to do to determine to have a tenacity that I'm going to pursue God with the same level of commitment all the time, whether I'm in a valley or on the peak of a mountain? What do we need to do? How do we get determined in that kind of way? Maybe you need to be someone who says, hey, I need to focus on the sweet. I, I'm, I'm living life like a turkey vulture. I'm looking for dead and I'm finding the dead. I need to be, I need to expect the sweet. I need to live a life of faith, expecting that God's going to show up and I'm looking for beauty. I'm looking for good things. But set my attention on whatever is, like the Bible says, whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's of good report, like those kind of things. That's where I need to set my focus on. Maybe you need to get to work. Maybe you're waiting on God to move, but he's waiting on you to move. Maybe you need to have more gratitude. Maybe you need to spend the summer making a list of all the things that you're thankful for on a daily basis, reminding yourself of all the good things, all the things that God's done for you and thanking him for those things. Maybe you need to put others above yourself. Maybe you've been living a kind of a selfish life and and you want relationships. You want more uh, connection with other people. And maybe God's saying, okay, why don't you sow that into other people? Maybe you're single today. You want to be married. Well, how are you? Can you sow into someone else's marriage? Maybe babysit their kids. All the married people said, amen. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit what to do. But I am saying, do something. Because God wants to bless you. And he wants to bless you in the doing. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer also. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Holy Spirit, we, we want to hear you today. I pray that you would highlight for every one of us here that thing that we need to do, that, that thing that needs to be highlighted. We, we want to be like Ruth. We, we understand we have a good God. We serve a good God who wants to bless us, who wants to put his favor and his blessing on our life. But God, we understand that, that there's things we can do to put ourselves in position for that. So Lord, help us to see those things that we need to make adjustments on. And, and God, show us that one thing that we need to focus in on right now that's going to help us to step into the fullness of life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.